1994, an Italian man was running a six-day marathon across the Saharan Desert in the country of Morocco. He was blown off course by a sandstorm, and he found himself 186 miles off course. He made his way into an abandoned mosque where he lived for nine days on, wait for it, bats. A nomadic family came across him and got him to safety, and he ran the race again four years later. In 2003, a man named Aaron Ralston was climbing in a slot canyon in Utah all by himself when a boulder shifted and trapped his arm against the wall. He hung there, suspended against the canyon wall for four days. On the fourth day, he decided to take the multi-tool in his pocket and amputate his arm. He got down to the canyon floor, had to hike several miles before he ran into a family who helped get him safely out of there. In 2006, three Mexican fishermen were fishing off the Pacific coast of Mexico when the engine on their 25-foot boat died and the waves carried them out to sea. Over 90 days later, three months they were rescued 5,000 miles away by the Marsh, by, next to the Marshall Islands. Those are crazy stories. We could find hundreds, if not thousands, of stories of extreme rescue. But what we see is that humans can survive against incredible odds when they have hope, when they have something to believe in that they believe will lead them to a future better than just the momentary troubles they find themselves in. Most of us, if not none of us, have crazy stories of survival. We haven't been set adrift for nine, uh, for nine weeks or for 90 days across the ocean. We have not found ourselves lost in the Saharan desert. And yet, don't we all, each and every one of us, have to wrestle with hopelessness in one way or another? Have you ever felt like nothing I ever do makes a difference or there's nothing I can do to change this situation? Have you ever felt like you were powerless to make the necessary changes in your life or in helping with the lives of others? Have you ever felt like you were all alone and no one was pitching in, no one was helping you, you had to carry the load all by yourself? Or have you ever felt like you just keep spinning the wheel, you just keep climbing the ladder, but you never get to the top, you never get where you think you will? Most people would look at those in this congregation, in this community, and think, what do they have to be hopeless about? Their lives look just fine. They look like they have it all together. And yet, I know many of your stories, and I know that for all of us, at least a low level of hopelessness grinds in the backs of our minds that weighs down in the pits of our stomach and weighs heavy on our souls. We all wrestle with hopelessness in one way or another. 
Over a week ago on Friday night, there was a concert here in this sanctuary for Treehouse, who Corey mentioned earlier is our ministry of the month, this month and there, our Christmas Eve offering. But a 15-year-old high school student from St. Louis Park stood right here on this stage and said that hopelessness is to have no expectation of future good. No expectation of future good. So I'm going to ask us this morning, what would it take to shift from a mindset of hopelessness to a mindset of hope? That what would it look like to live with an expectation that our future good is not rooted in anything that we can do, but instead rooted in who God is and what God has done for us and in our lives? This Advent season, we've been looking at scriptures from the book of Isaiah, Because Isaiah gives pictures of a Messiah, and a Messiah is the figure in the Old Testament stories who talk about when when God is going to do something amazing in the world that changes changes the future, both for Israel and for the entire world. That person will be called a Messiah. And so we've been sitting with, what does the Messiah do? And we have to see that in the Old Testament, the Messiah was the expectation of future good for God's people. And so today we'll see how Jesus is our expectation of future good. We are in Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, and I'm going to read from the message translation because these are texts that we often hear in Christmas Eve services and in the Christmas season, and they can become so familiar that hearing them said a different way can be helpful. So I'm reading from the message, Isaiah 9, starting in verse 1. We did preach, Carrie Gleason preached the first three verses of this passage three weeks ago. I'm going to read those and then we'll pick up what we're looking at today. So Isaiah 9 verse 1 says, But there will be no darkness for those who are in trouble. Earlier he did bring the lands of Zebulun and Naphtali into disrepute, but the time is coming when he'll make that whole area glorious. The road along the sea, the country past the Jordan, international Galilee. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. For those who lived in a land of deep shadows, light, sunburst of light. You repopulated the nation. You expanded its joy. Oh, they're so glad in your presence. Festival joy. The joy of a great celebration, sharing rich gifts and warm greetings. So I'll stop there. That's what we looked at a few weeks ago and talked about how Jesus is our light in the darkness. But then the text makes a little bit of a change and picks up in the next verse where it says, The abuse of oppressors and cruelty of tyrants, all of their whips and cudgels and curses. He's talking about the instruments of war. It's gone. It's done away with. A deliverance as surprising and sudden as Gideon's old victory over Midian. You know the one, right? We'll get there in a second. The boots of all those invading troops, along with their shirts soaked with innocent blood, will be piled in a heap and burned, a fire that will burn for days. He's talking about the remnants, the leftovers, what happens when war is done. He said, it will all be gone. The war will no longer be necessary. So these few verses, which again, we often hear and read in the Christmas season, they're weird. 
Like, these are weird verses. It's okay. It's okay if you're thinking, what in the world is going on? Because Isaiah is talking about, in these verses, Isaiah is talking about an old story. And that's what he references when he says, Gideon's old victory over Midian. So if you go back and you read in the book of Judges, Gideon was the national leader. Before they had kings, Gideon was the leader for the nation of Israel. And an army from a nation called Midian had marched to try to capture the Israelites. And when they got there, God led Gideon to have a tiny army. They had 300 soldiers. It's a crazy story how they got the 300 soldiers. Go back and read it. They have 300 soldiers that go and take on this massive army. So less people that are sitting in this room right now took on a a 10,000, 15,000-person army and won. And so he's reminding them of their stories. What Isaiah is trying to get them to realize is that their history is a history of how God has stepped into hopeless situations and acted on their behalf for good when they had no hope in their own human strength. So then for them and for us, any hope, any living today with an expectation of future good should not be rooted in what we can do, but can be rooted in what God does. In all of history, in all of history, humans have been trying to overcome hopeless situations through violence and fear and fighting. I mean, if we're honest, sometimes when we're having a bad day, it just feels good to put somebody in their place, right? We've been trying to do this on our own. But one of the things this text is reminding us is that, hey, you won that that victory over Midian, and then you had another battle to fight, and another battle to fight, right? That hope did not sustain itself. They had to keep fighting. Last week, Pastor Melissa talked about how we need, humans need, a deliverer and how the Messiah would be a deliverer because we cannot save, we cannot deliver ourselves from the troubles of our lives. But as long as we keep trying, as long as we keep trying to deliver ourselves, what Isaiah would tell us is we have no hope. We have no expectation of future good if we're trying to get to hope based on our own strength. But God has a different plan in mind. So let's pick back up in the text in Isaiah 9. Very familiar verses. For a child has been born for us. The gift of a son for us. He'll take over the running of the world. His name will be Amazing Counselor, Strong God, Eternal Father, Prince of Wholeness. Again, these are familiar words, but if we listen to them with ancient ears, what we'll hear is this is an ancient birth proclamation of the future king. The future king has been born, and then he names characteristics of this king because they would have known what made for a good king and what made for a bad king. You you understand this because some of you have had bosses, and you know what makes for a good boss, and you know what makes for a bad boss. Some of you have had teachers. You know what makes for a good teacher. You know what makes for a bad teacher. They knew what made for a good king. And this king, this king, amazing counselor, strong God, eternal father, prince of wholeness, would have been the best possible king they could have hoped for. 
God's plan for hope is a person. God's plan for hope is a person because hope is always related to someone being by your side. You cannot get to hope alone. In fact, hopelessness often looks like loneliness. God's plan for hope is a presence and a person. Let me show you how this looks using a contemporary example. I want to show you a clip from a movie that was released this past summer. Now, it's actually a clip of opening night of the audience and the audience reaction to the ending of a movie called Avengers Endgame. So some of you have seen Avengers Endgame. I'm going to set this clip up. So again, you're watching the crowd's reaction because the Avengers Endgame is about superheroes. Most of you know that. If you don't, superheroes like Iron Man and Thor and Captain America and Spider-Man. And if you don't know who that is, I don't know how to help you at this point. (laughs) So these movies have been building for over 12 years. There's over 20 of them. And the the final movie is this movie, Avengers Endgame. It was a major cultural moment. And what happened right before this movie is the baddest guy, the worst guy humanity has ever seen wiped out over half of the population and over half of the Avengers. And so for five years, the world has known half, the, half, like half of humanity has been gone. And the superheroes who are left, like you're, when you see the clip, it'll open on, on Captain America, but Captain America, Iron Man, and Thor are fighting against the biggest, worst army that's come to invade the earth and destroy humanity, the worst army the world has ever seen, and they're hopeless. They are beaten. They are down. There's just three of them facing this massive army. And for five years, all they've known is their friends are gone. And what you're going to see is their friends start showing up. Spoiler alert. Sorry about that. But watch the crowd react. Check this out.
I did not film that, by the way. Don't. Uh, I was there opening weekend and had the same, we had the same reaction in the audience as, the, as those things that like came about. Just amazing to hear the energy in the room, right? They were completely hopeless. And then the right people came to their side. It's like it changed everything. Sometimes hope is knowing that you're not alone. Hope is having the right person on your side. And, and God's people both in the Old Testament and God's people today sitting right here should feel that way about the announcement of a king who is coming to change everything. To have hope, we need the right person on our side. And the good news is that Jesus is the right person on our side, that you are incapable of carrying the hopelessness of your life and the world, but that Jesus is the right person to do it. Ephesians 2, verse 12 says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, meaning you had no hope of being a part of God's people, having no hope and without God in the world, having no hope. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Through his death, and his resurrection. There was death and resurrection from the dead. Jesus is the right person on our side. Jesus can become our hope and our future expectation of good because he has overcome sin and death for us and that changes everything. And Isaiah goes on to tell us how it changes everything. He says, his ruling authority will grow and there will be no limits to the wholeness he brings, meaning it will fill the whole world. It's not just for Israel, it's for everybody. He'll rule from the historic David throne over that promised kingdom, which means he's the Messiah. He'll put that kingdom on a firm footing and keep it going with fair dealing and right living. This kingdom should result in fair dealing and right living, beginning now and lasting always for eternity. The zeal of the God of the angel armies will do all of this. The expectation of future good in Jesus has a present, and that present is a people, and that people is called a kingdom. And those people, God's people, are called to put their hope into practice every single day. If we're going to live with hope, for the future, an expectation of future good. It should transform how we live our lives every single day. It should change us only by putting it into practice. My brother-in-law is around the same age as I am, and he's, he's a military guy, and he's in good shape. And whenever we're together, we often will work out. We'll go for runs. We'll do little workouts together. And there are some things that I'm better than he is at, and there are some things that he's way better than I am at. And one of those things is pull-ups. And how, how can I explain the difference? And he can do pull-ups. <laughs> and I don't even need to finish that sentence. He can do pull-ups. And so the last time we were together, I was just commenting on, man, I just cannot, I've never been good at pull-ups. And he said, you know, I was never good at pull-ups either. And when I joined the military, Every day on the way to the mess hall, three times a day, I pass by a set of pull-up bars. And I just told myself, I'll just try to do a pull-up. 
So he said, I tried and I couldn't do it. And the next day I tried again and I did one pull-up and then I did two pull-ups and then three. And before long, he was just perfectly fine at doing pull-ups. But isn't that fascinating? Joining the military did not make him good at pull-ups. Passing by the pull-up bars, having proximity to the pull-up bars did not help him become better at pull-ups. Wishing he was good at pull-ups did not help him become better at pull-ups. What if to experience the future hope today, we have to put it into practice? We have to try it out. We have to work at being hopeful people. Real hope, lasting hope, real expectation of future good should transform how we live in the here and now. We've been talking about Treehouse, and Corey said earlier that Treehouse's mission is to end hopelessness among teens. But I'm sure the Treehouse staff who are in the room would tell you that they don't believe that saying that statement will end hopelessness. That they don't believe a slogan will end hopelessness. But that hopelessness will be ended by others with hope entering into the darkness of those experiencing hopelessness and walking alongside of them. Hope must be practiced. Hope comes from participating. Hope is a kingdom. It is a living, breathing body group of people who are called to live a certain way together and to be hope for others. Jesus is calling you to be hope in the world. And for some of you, Jesus is calling you to be hope for others who are alone. Some of you, Jesus is calling you to be hope for people who are powerless. Some of you, God is calling to be hope for people who have no expectation of future good, to give them a vision of what expectation of future good might look like. I don't know what Jesus is calling you to do when it comes to sharing hope, but what I do know is that if Jesus is your hope, you are being called to be hope for others. And then what we find is that hope might lead us into hard places. It might lead us to dangerous places. I want to close with a story, and I'm going to warn parents that it's a graphic story. So if you want to distract your kids, earmuff your kids, or take them out of the room, I totally understand. Um, it'll, there'll be a graphic moment in it. So uh, at a previous church I served, they took a mission team to Kenya. Twelve adults. Twelve normal, everyday adults from a large congregation in a suburb of an American city. I'm saying that way because it could be any of you. Twelve normal adults spent two weeks in Kenya serving. They spent two weeks in Kenya loving on people and serving a church and helping spread the gospel. And then the last day they were there, they went to the airport. They loaded in a van and they were driving about dusk and they got pulled over by what they thought was the police. But instead, they were pulled over by a group of mercenaries who drug them out of the vehicle, beat several of them senseless, lined them up in a ditch at gunpoint for execution. At the last moment, a van came over the hill 
with lights flashing, scared off the mercenaries who jumped in the truck and took off. They made it to the van, they got to the airport, and made it home. But what I can tell you is their lives were never the same. Their prayer lives were never the same. Their study of Scripture was never the same. Their passion for Jesus was never the same. You see, all 12 of them went back to Kenya, which completely floored me. But what I know is that they, they realized their hope was not found in their ability to keep their lives safe and secure, but their hope, their hope was found in the eternal security, the eternal safety of the one who was greater than any momentary trouble they could have faced, the one who had conquered sin and death. You see, we all know that hopelessness is real in the world. But what if we believed in something greater than hopelessness? What if we believed in something deeper and stronger than the hopelessness? G.K. Chesterton, a theologian and writer, said, fairy tales do not tell children that dragons exist. Children already know that dragons exist. Fairy tales tell children the dragons can be killed. Jesus does not tell us that hopelessness exists. We already know that hopelessness exists. Jesus tells us the hopelessness will not win. Jesus is our expectation of future good, both now and for eternity. Let's pray. Holy and loving God, we thank you for the ways in which you love us. We thank you for the ways in which you are our eternal hope. For every single one in this room, I pray that we would experience what it means to trust fully in you, that in the good days and in the bad, that we would have a reminder that our lives do not just belong to ourselves, but they belong to you, and that you are our expectation of future good. As we prepare for Christmas, would you help us walk in the longings of life, trusting that we don't have to solve the problems because we have an eternal Savior. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, amen.